everyone. Welcome to Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio, big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. I'm your aptly named host of your favorite hebdomadal podcast. Oh, I'm glad you're with me. I'd be thrown into xerostomia if I had to mouth the words, you missed this week's show. Cure communications gaffes. Our 21 NTC coverage begins by explaining what to do after you put the wrong gala date in your email or send a letter to the wrong segment. Might an intentional mistake improve your open rate? Our panel is Julie Ziff-Sint, Claire Thomas, and Shafali Rao, all from Sankey Communications. And Talking Mental Health in Your Workplace, also from 21NTC, Dan Burstein helps you avoid a different gaffe, saying the wrong things when faced with challenging behaviors or mental health disclosures. He's got easy-to-follow strategies. Dan is founder of MH Mediate. On Tony's Take Two, how are you doing? We're sponsored by Turn2 Communications, PR and content for nonprofits. Your story is their mission. Turn-2.co. Here is Cure Communications Gaffes. Welcome to Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio coverage of 21NTC. That's the 2021 Nonprofit Technology Conference. We're sponsored at 21NTC by Turn2 Communications, turn-2.co. My guests at this session are Julie Ziff-Sint, Claire Thomas, and Shafali Rao. They are all with Sankey Communications. Julie is Vice President of Account and Strategic Services. Claire is Copy Director, and Shafali is Senior Copy Writer. Welcome, Julie. Thanks so much for having us. Welcome. Nice to be here. So, uh, let's see. So, does everybody work for Julie? And then... (laughs) and then Claire reports to Shafali. Is it well? Is it work like that? Or I'm sure it's a very collegial place. Thank you, community. No, we're totally lateral. Totally flat. <laughs> Everybody gets the same pay. Everybody's exactly the same. All right. All right. We wish. We're, we're, we're a really collaborative um, agency, but but I work more on our Absolutely. strategic side of things, and Claire and Shafali are two of our genius copywriters who manage um, our clients' messaging. Okay. I think it's important to flesh this out. So give folks a feel for Sankey Communications because they might be working with you someday. Yeah. Your workshop topic is my bad to all good. How to repair a mistake in donor communications. So like if you dropped an email with a mistake in it or you sent out an email about the gala and it has the wrong date or the wrong time. that's that's, That's a particularly egregious one. We would think we would catch that in copywriting. So- um, Shafali, let's start with you. How, how does these things happen? First of all, like suppose that example, a wrong time in the gala invitation. How could that, how could that possibly happen when we have multiple eyes on projects on, on communications? Yeah, you would think that it wouldn't, um, but sometimes it just misses all sets of five. Okay. I, <laughs> I actually gave this example even in the conference, but I used to be a journalist and I used to be at the news desk copy editing and one time on the front page in a headline the word public was missing an l and that just went out the next day (laughs) right that's exactly and um the good news is that we 
have a system we have like strategies in place where we kind of make those mistakes work for us which is really what our workshop was about yeah i mean you could have some fun i don't know a, a pubic might be tough to have fun well yeah. you could have fun with it you know, I mean, yeah, without getting carried away i mean you i think making light of a mistake a gaffe i i use that all the time i mean i you're you're suffering with a lackluster host so don't be surprised if if this comes up three or four times in a half an hour um like the banging i don't know you i have you hear that banging yeah. a little bit a little okay it's it's a hammer there's guys working on my stairs you might hear vacuuming because they're they're very fastidious about cleaning up uh you might hear some uh sawing drill drill or circular saw type work um not that that's a gaff but you know it's background noise we got to call it out if i can't hide it i'm gonna flaunt it so well all right Shafali, so i gotta ask what did the paper do with uh public to pubic I mean, we printed a, printed a correction the next day. That's all you can really do. Oh, that's not the fun way. I mean, it's not a fun way. It's, okay. I mean, he was pretty upset about it, but we have actually had fun with some of our mistakes in the past, right? Okay. Who's, yeah. Who wants to share a, a mistake that... Uh, so one of, them, one of them was in the footer, you know, of an email. And, you know, these things go out all the time and, and everybody's real careful about the content of the email and, and was the subject line perfect. And you kind of forget to be as careful about the footer. And in the footer to the donors, it said, eight cents of every dollar goes to program services. <laughs> oh, gosh. Okay. Yeah. And now, most people already wouldn't even see that. All right, most people aren't going to look at the footer. But... Right. This is, and this is an animal shelter. So... So when, when it was caught, we were like, oi. So we're, so what we did was we, we said, okay, let's, let's send it out, but let's stay in character for how the donors know us. And we, we have with this, with this um, animal shelter, we have a really fun, friendly voice. And so we sent out a correction email and we used it to educate donors on what the truth is. And what we said was, forgive us, F-U-R, forgive yeah. us for our mistake. Um, and we try, we're pause, P-A-W, positively horrified we made this mistake because the truth is it's 82 cents of your dollar that goes to program services. And we're really proud of that. And then we talked about how we care for donor services, but we kept the really, we used pictures of cute puppies and kittens and, you know, it was all friendly and fun and, and it was a good chance to educate the donors on what the actual, you know, how the or organization uses donor resources. And of course, the silver lining on that example and, and everything else is that when you do have an effective apology like that, um, you can have extraordinary engagement with your donors. So for that example that Claire just shared, um, we had over a 50% open rate and almost a 5% click-through rate, which is more than three times as high on both metrics as, as, as you might hope to see. Yeah, yeah. Julie, I was gonna to go to you. Uh, so it sounds like the first thing you should do when you discover one of these gaffes is don't panic. Never panic. Panicking definitely does not help. You'll, comp you'll compound, right? You'll send the wrong thing. You won't think it through. You'll, you'll blow the one chance you have to really fix it well. So keep your head on. Panicking definitely doesn't help in, in any environment. Okay, okay. <laughs> Um, I, I will say before, you know, before you get there, it's definitely worthwhile to have a comprehensive QA process. Um, and 
quality assurance process, make sure that you're going through steps to try to avoid the mistakes in the first place. But then, yeah, once, once the mistake happens, because no matter how good your quality assurance process is, mistakes will happen. Um, so when something does happen, be able to, like you said, don't panic, figure out what was the mistake? What was, what type of mistake was it? Is there an opportunity there? There might be a silver lining. There might be an opportunity. And how can you, how can you apologize in the most effective way or turn the mistake into, you know, make some lemonade from that lemon um, and, what, and really find a good silver lining there. What if someone is screaming at you? Maybe it's a board member who just got the email. Maybe it's the CEO, whoever, someone senior to you is furious. About the mistake. Yeah, about them. Yeah, not about yeah. Yeah, not about what you're wearing that day. But yeah, yeah. So, well, I'm just because because the other problem is when the donor picks up the phone and starts to scream with you, right? Okay, it could be a donor. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. I was trying to manage in the office first. But that's so, a good one, Claire. We'll get to. So in the, we'll do that later. Get we'll to the secondary the, the secondary market. Yeah, the other constituents. But how about <laughs> right in your office? Uh, you know, a CEO or board member. Well, we'll consider board members insiders for for purposes of our conversation. What do you do? They're they're furious. Yeah. And the first thing to do is to say, this is, this isn't all bad. There's, there's probably an opportunity here. And we had a whole section on, on opportunities. Every, every one of the case studies that we presented and the, our speed round where people were talking about, oh, these are the mistakes they made. You know, we talked about, well, there's an opportunity there. Like, like Shafali, you had some great ideas about opportunities. Yeah. And I mean, the first question you asked at the step was, how does this happen? You know what I mean? Like, how, how do these mistakes happen? And they happen because there are human people at the other end of yeah, the right. and it happens. Like, we all make mistakes. And sometimes the donor wants nothing more than to know that a person is at the other end of these communications. And that's your opportunity right there to say sorry build a connection to make like some sort of personal heartfelt apology um and then you have a lasting connection with the donor claire let me continue with you uh, we're we're we've got a furious uh, supervisor here in, doesn't it help to just also say i'm sorry i mean i know i know i know i made a mistake without trying to deflect or you know just even if it's not 100% your mistake like if 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 two other people read the copy also but the, the CEO is in your office in the moment. Oh, yeah. Should you just say, I, I know I know we messed it up or I'm sorry? You know, I mean, just, right? Well, and, and it is. You're, you're absolutely right. But then there's the other, the other mistake that you just alluded to when it was completely out of your control. Julie, talk about what happened with the USPS this year. Oh, my goodness. I, and so, so this is, you know, there, there are definitely issues that are outside of our control, right? So, um, you know, there was for people who use Blackbot Online Express, there was one year that it, it stopped taking donations on Giving Tuesday. There was the Blackbot data breach last spring and summer. Gmail started hard bouncing in the middle of December this past year. And then, of course, in, in direct mail, USPS had delays and we had some of our clients were sending out holiday fundraising appeals at the very beginning of December. But then the seeds weren't even received until the beginning of January. So if you're mailing totally, that's supposed you to think, go out. If you think, yeah, I mean, there's there's a pissed off CEO, pissed off client, pissed off everybody. That the people didn't, the donors didn't get the asks. Yeah, yeah. By, by <laughs> December 31st. And it's outside, right, so, you know, it's outside of your control, but there there are ways to make that into an opportunity. We had 
one client, they had sent out a mailing that talked about a December 31st uh, matching gift deadline, but people didn't receive the mailings. Um, it bombed. And, you know, and so, so we brainstormed with them, what could we do to figure out a way around this? And we ended up doing an email campaign in early January that effectively said, we understand there were delays with the post service. We know that you may not have received our appeal letter. We would like to tell you that even though it said that the matching gift deadline was on December 31st, we talked to the matching gift donor and we've been able to extend it. Please make your contribution now. And so, you know, it's not going to necessarily completely counteract a, a you know, that's not our mistake, but it's not going to completely counteract that problem, but you can still look for a silver lining. You can still try to connect with, with the donors, show them that you are a human, show them that you're all partners together for the mission um, and then bring them back on board for, for the mission. Claire, you, you uh, seem to be the one who raises the good uh, hypotheticals. All right, so let's, let's go outside now. Suppose it is a donor on the phone. So yeah. it's, not, it's not a supervisor, but now it's yeah. a donor. You know, maybe it's, maybe they're the ones who, maybe they're the challenge donors who, who December 31st, you know, on January 3rd, they got the, they got the challenge email or whatever it is. You have an yeah. upset donor yeah. or, or, or a very upset volunteer. How do you manage that? Well, first of all, remember that the fact that someone has picked up the phone and called you, you have a dedicated donor on the other end of the line. This is a person who cared enough, cared enough about the work that you're doing and is invested enough in the mission to pick up the phone and complain. So you've got someone on the phone who really cares. And then you kind of follow some basic steps. Remember, feelings before solutions. Let them vent. Let them say whatever it is that made them angry and listen to it and be sympathetic and, and listen for opportunities to connect and then solve the problem. Sometimes it's that, it's that the donor says, well, I only wanted to be uh, mailed once a year, and this is the third appeal I've gotten this year. And so, you know, you have a chance to draw them into a conversation and get them talking about why they care about the organization's work, why this mission matters to them. Once they start talking about why they care, they usually talk themselves into wanting to give. I've been in the situation where I've been the person talking to the donor that was angry and, and letting them talk and then finding a way to like say, well, that's a really good point. And I think we can, we can address that mistake and then upgrading the donor, <laughs> getting them. That's actually how I started in fundraising. I was, I was asked to call donors who were angry, find out what their problem was. And, and then just, these were people who had pledged money and weren't going to pay it off. I raised all the money they had pledged just by listening to them, just by solving little problems that they had really small. Um, and then they ended up being very dedicated to the organization because the, again, it's what Shafali said, it's that human to human, you know, these are people on both sides of the equation. Philanthropy is of course the most human of acts. Do you all know the service recovery paradox? No. Really? Well, oh, I have I'm a surprised. suspicion is, we do that. Pardon me? Pardon me? <laughs> I have a suspicion that we actually do that. Well, yeah, you're, you, you could very well be a part of it, but um, it's bona fide. There's research. The service recovery paradox is that someone for whom a mistake occurs 
and and has that mistake satisfactorily corrected will be more connected to the brand. It's, I think I've seen it more on the commercial side will be more connected to the brand than someone for whom a mistake never occurred. Yeah. That's what you're describing, Claire. Like you're, you're, Claire's talking about upgrading people who were upset. There, there are a lot of, um, Sankey Communications, we were founded by Sankey Perlowin um, back in the late 70s. And there are a lot of myths around Sankey Perlowin. Um, and I, many of them are not verified. But but I have to say, is Sankey a man or a woman? Or a, a... She, She's a woman. Um, okay. Sankey was a nickname for Selma. Um, okay. Apparently, maybe that's that's the, the new thing that we can learn for today. Um, but... That's two things. That's two things. I know. So... Um, <laughs> So, so there are a lot of a lot of myths around her in in the industry. But one, and, and I, I have no idea if this is true, but I, I have been told that she used to plant mistakes in direct mail letters because there was an increased an increased responses, um, or an increased response rate, or an increased giving if there was a mistake in the letter. People would actually write back, correct it, and send in their check while they were at it. That's brilliant. It's it's brilliant. Yeah, yeah, right. They they love you enough to point out, like Claire was saying, they love you enough to point out your mistake, but then they might feel bad about not including a check. So, <laughs> so you're 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 helping them get over the hurdle of uh, whether to reply. You're you're giving them a you're giving them an even better reason to reply. And by the way, you know they they feel bad if they if they only complain. So they'll give you money too. Okay. Well, and we writers like to believe that once somebody has noticed some kind of little mistake, they start reading for other mistakes and then they actually get hooked into the message. Those of us who spend all our time, you know, crafting those messages, we would yeah. like to believe that it's our chance to hook them. Shafali, do you, uh, do you deliberately, have you ever uh, deliberately, be honest now, have you ever deliberately <laughs> put a mistake in? To, no, uh, but I have to please. say, as we're having this conversation, I'm already thinking of like subject lines that maybe have a mistake, but not, super obvious but it would get people to just open the email oh like what like what wait wait well i want to flush this out we're getting we're getting good advice this is the stuff i love on nonprofit radio it's actionable actionable advice (laughs) what's an example for example i'm just thinking what if the subject line just had somebody else's name and you click on it because you think okay this person's made a mistake that's not my name and then you open it and it says just kidding of course we know you're tony because you're one of our most dedicated supporters Okay, but they they think they're being uh, voyeuristic by opening it up. Oh, it's exactly. oh, it's mail for somebody else. I definitely want to check that out more so than I would read my own. Awesome, the, the you got problem, another one? Another one occurred. The problem is though, Tony, that 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 will be Talent. great with the donors. It may not be so great with that CEO that comes into your office yelling. Well, I should get approval in, in advance. You say, look, I want to I want to test it. I want to test it exactly. Be. We're going to send a thousand that are that are misnamed and a thousand that are correctly named, and uh, let's see let's see which one pulls better, which one which one clicks through better. You, I you still want to do the test. Want to share one more? Me too. I love, I love how these copywriter minds think. It's amazing. amazing. <laughs> Did anything else occur to you while we're talking? No, that's it. I mean, okay. My new campaign idea in two minutes. I'm I'm pretty happy with that. <laughs> Yeah, right. Okay. okay. Well, we're 17 minutes in. So try to try to up your game a little bit. We're already 17 <laughs> minutes in. You're only, only one idea in 17 minutes. We got to do a little better than that. Um, all right. What else should we talk about? How about uh, crisis communications management? Is this, this is, this is no, I mean, that's a crisis, but we're now moving to 
uh, organizational crisis where the where the the local paper headline and it's not good. Who Julie, you got you got uh, a first bit of advice for that? Um, so so I think we we'd go back to where you started with before, which is always start with don't panic. Um, for many yeah. of the organizations that we that we work with, one of the first things that we do is we talk to them about what is their rapid response plan. Um, it applies to if there's a hurricane that impacts your services or if there's a political situation that impacts your services or oh. if there's something in terms of internal politics where there's something that is going to impact your reputation. And you have that that rapid response plan. And, and it's a question of, you know, and we've, we've given whole other talks about this and that's, it's a whole other topic of conversation, but it is, it is really important, right? You, if you have the plan going in, then you can deal with it, whatever the issues are. So you say, okay, who are the decision makers at the organization? What is the chain of command? Who are the people who we need to gather at the organization to figure out whether or not we respond? If we respond, what channels do we respond in? What is the messaging of that response, right? And so, so you know, that, that really does have to depend on what is the situation. And some, some issues you don't, some, some problems, whether it's a mistake internally, or a mistake in communication, or a, one of these kind of rapid response, publicity, something, some situations will not require a response. And, and others do. And so it's a question of, what is the message? Is it something where, you know, if, if you actually do something really offensive, who is the right person to say something? Is it the executive director? Is it the, the chair of the board? Um, so so who, is it somebody who, who is a trusted individual? Um, who is the right signer for it? What is the right message? You know, we, we, do, we do often, I will say, use humor when we are crafting an apology, Claire, read, Claire talked about that example of please forgive us from an animal shelter. Oh. You're not gonna do that if it's something really offensive. You don't wanna oh, use- Oh God, yeah, I should hope not, right. <laughs> I mean, you, you never know, but, but you wanna you know, be very human, talk about it. You, I, ideally, you wanna be real, explain here's the situation and, and have a very real, genuine apology. Um, what if, okay, what if at the outset you don't, you don't have enough facts. I mean, can you, you can you come out and say we can't comment right now? You know, we're still looking into whatever the situation is, and we 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 don't want to say anything inappropriate. So you give us well, twenty four hours or something like that. Uh, well, and committing to transparency in that process, I think, is going to go a long way to saying we're still figuring this out. We want you to know we're on it. We're this, these are the steps we've already taken. Here's a step, there's the next step we're taking and we're going to tell you uh, what's going on. You know, you're going to hear about this. Um, and just just to reassure them, anytime you're, you, you're dealing with somebody, you're dealing with a donor group, they've given you their money. This is, this is an act of trust. You have to, you have to work to, to keep that trust um, to make sure it's, you know, earned. So okay. you don't want right. to lose that. And that transparency is important, but you're also then messaging them and saying to them, as a donor, you are our, you are our partner in executing our mission. You are part of the organization. We owe you an explanation and we need you to help us get through this. We need your, you to continue to support, um, you know, shelter animals, homeless youth, whatever the, the population is that you are providing services to. 
you are our partner in supporting this mission and we need you to stand with us. And the more Good. authentic and personal it is, it's also, it's more about, it's transparency, but it's also assurance that not just like, it's not just we have your best interests, interests at heart, but it's also you're in the know about what's happening in the organization. Like Julie said, you're a partner. Building on that trust that Claire was talking about. Yeah, yeah. Right, uh, you have that trust in the bank. You don't wanna, you don't wanna exploit it. Uh, and squander it, which, yeah. you know, uh, conflicting messaging will do, uh, I think too much delay, depending on the situation, you know, too much delay, then the story gets ahead of you. And I mean, I'm envisioning something really bad, you know, and, and then somebody else controls the narrative and, and you've, you've lost your opportunity. You know, those, those things are bad. And that's, that's a squandering of good faith, a squandering of trust. All right. Well, that's that, that's that trust too, that, that Claire, you talked about when we were talking about the gaffes, you know, people love you so much that they're going to let you know that you made a mistake. Yeah. Those are the, those are the most concerned, like most invested people. The ones who don't care are going to write it off like uh, just another, another problem with these people, you know, something yeah. like that. But the ones who really care are going to say, how could they let this happen? Do they know, you know, so yeah, yeah. That it, they're invested. They're invested. They're invested. All right. Yeah. Um, what else should we talk about? We got a couple more minutes. We don't have to uh, wrap up. What, what haven't we covered yet? Well, one of the fun things we talked about, not fun at all, it was how to apologize appropriately. Okay. Well, you gave a good example of the animal shelter. We, we're yeah, positively... but if it's offensive, what, what we've all noticed in, you know, in our media consumption uh, in the last couple of years is all of these people um, providing apologies you know, public oh, apology. Oh, the backhanded apologies. The if, backhanded apologies. If anyone was offended. Exactly. I didn't intend it. And I regret that they're offended. So it's like, <laughs> it's like their fault. It's your fault for being offended. Right. <laughs> I regret that you're offended. <laughs> know. You know, all right. Yeah, talk about a one It's horrible. Yeah. It's horrible. So, and so we actually said, be sure if someone, if, if someone said something offensive, be sure they say, I offended and I apologize. Right. Like <laughs> Shafali, you know, make it human. There's a human behind this apology. Exactly. Not, it wasn't written by a robot, you know. Yeah. It's not a, like a templated apology. Yeah. Right. Right. Handwritten apology. If anyone was offended, I'm sorry that they are. Yes. <laughs> I regret that they are. Other people they won't, even, won't even say that probably won't even say sorry. I regret that it's unfortunate that you are. Yeah. Exactly. All right. All right. What else? You want to any um let's see. Anybody want who wants to take us out? with uh parting parting advice for the let's stick with the gaff. I like the that that was the most animated part. The somebody take us out with good gaff uh advice. Well, I'll tell you one of the things we had fun coming up with Shafali and I um, included in, we gave a little bit of conference swag in, in some, some checklists and things could, that people could take. Oh, away. okay. And we also provided a little freebie, five subject lines to try if you made a mistake. So this is how, this is how to get somebody to open your email apology. And so we came up with, we came up with, well, this is awkward. Um, Let's see if we can get our apology right. You deserve our best. You didn't get it. Um, can you forgive us? Name of donor. And then, <laughs> then my favorite, 
I think this is Shafali's, um, the email you were actually supposed to get name. Okay. So just kind of helping people out. We have, we have unfortunate reasons for knowing that all of those emails are successful. Um, so we, <laughs> we thought we'd do a lot share. of communications. There's going to be a lot of mistakes. I mean, it's, it's going to happen. They're, they're, it's humans. You don't, you don't strive for them. Obviously you strive not to like Julie was yeah. saying, but, uh, but uh, with QA, but um, it's going to happen. Now, what I, about I this? Uh, wait, I don't like, I don't like teasing nonprofit radio listeners and then they don't get anything. What about this checklist you mentioned? So uh, those five subject lines, um, along with a variety of other things, including some of the most common QA mistakes to watch for, um, at sankeyinc.com slash NTC21, um, you can download a PDF that has a whole bunch of good checklists for both avoiding mistakes and then what to do if you made a mistake. Okay. So that was sankeyinc.com slash and so. Sankeyinc.com slash NTC21. Got it. And Sankey is S-A-N-K-Y. Sankeyinc.com slash NTC21. All right. Sankeyinc. Yep. Yep, you got it. Sankeyinc, as opposed to what I said, which was Sankeyinc. (laughs) Sankeyinc. All right. Nobody talk now. Nobody talk. Sankeyinc.com slash NTC21. You betcha. Okay. Thank you. All right. I don't like holding that on nonprofit radio listeners. All right, good. So they can get the resource there. We're going to leave it there. Julie Zifsint, Vice President of Account and Strategic Services, Claire Thomas, Copy Director, Shafali Rao, Senior Copywriter, all at Sankey Communications. Thank you very much. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Tony. Thanks for having me. Real pleasure. I enjoyed it. And thank you for being with Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio Coverage of 21 NTC. 2021 Nonprofit Technology Conference, where we are sponsored by, we should be sponsored by Sankey Communication with all these shout outs I'm giving, but we're not. We're sponsored by Turn2 Communications, SankeyInc.com, no, not SankeyInc.com. Turn2 Communications, <laughs> turn-2.co. We're sponsored by Turn2 Communications, turn-2.co. Thanks to each of you. Thank you very much. It's time for a break. Turn2 Communications, Relationships. Turn2 has the relationships with media outlets, journalists, even bloggers, podcasters, like me. They have the outlets to get you placed when there's a reason for you to be in the news. There's some news hook that they can grab and they can talk to. The Chronicle of Philanthropy, CBS Market Watch, etc., They've got the existing relationships and they'll leverage them to your advantage because you're their client. You get in the media. Turn to communications, turn hyphen co. It's time for Tony's take two. How are you? How are you doing? Have you had a vaccine? How's your family doing? Your family been vaccinated? I'm interested. I'm interested in how listeners are doing. I sent this out asking folks uh, who get the uh, insider alert, our weekly insider alert, and I got a bunch of responses back. People, people told me how they're doing, told me what's going on, how they've been, what, what it's like uh, go, planning to go back to work, etc. So I turn it to listeners. That's you. How are you doing? How's your family? 
let me know. You can use my email. Here it is. You're not going to be able to use it if I don't give it to you. Tony at TonyMartinetti.com. Tony at TonyMartinetti.com. Let me know how you are. That is Tony's Take Two. We've got Buku buttloads. More time for nonprofit radio. Here is Talking Mental Health in Your Workplace. Welcome to Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio coverage of 21 NTC, the 2021 Nonprofit Technology Conference. We're sponsored at 21 NTC by Turn2 Communications, turn-2.co. My guest now is Dan Burstein. He is founder at MH Mediate. Dan, welcome to our coverage of 21 NTC. Thank you very much for having me. Pleasure. Absolute pleasure. We're talking about something that's important that's not talked about enough. Your session is talking mental health in a virtual workplace. There's there's stigmas around mental health. Uh, is it is is it is it worse now in, in a virtual world? Um, I would say that, um, and I'll just say I'll just say that you know my background is I'm a mediator and I do work to help people talk about mental health, but I also personally live openly with bipolar disorder, and I would say that. Stigma is a, a funny thing because when we think about stigma, we think about, well, do people have a negative attitude towards someone having a mental illness? And as time has gone on, the general climate of negative attitudes to someone having a mental illness, I believe has shifted. So people are more accepting of the idea that someone might have a mental health problem. And we need to work with the fact that everybody in the workplace has mental health needs of some kind, and people might need to take a personal day or something. The, the mm. interesting thing is, what kinds of ideas do people have about what do you do when you see that somebody may or may not have a mental health problem? And that's where um, uh, so much talk has happened during the pandemic, where um, people are saying, well, what do we do? How do we pay attention to our coworkers? How do we notice if there's a mental health problem and help them? There's statistics out that uh, about half of people have some kind of mental health symptoms now during the pandemic. And so there's a lot of people who have these good intentions that they want to find a way to support someone who has a mental health problem. But the way that they offer that support might actually be stigmatizing. And okay. um, one way of doing that is if you assume someone needs help. So if someone hears I have bipolar disorder, or even if someone notices I'm having personal issues at work, if, if they approach me with the assumption that I need their help, that, that's paternalism, and that's one kind of stigma. Another okay. type of stigma, and I'll end it right there, is um, another type of stigma is if you believe, for instance, oh, well, Dan has bipolar disorder, but if he goes to the doctor and he takes his medicine, Dan will be fine. Where you, yeah, that's, that's an accepting idea, but that's not how it works for everyone, because I have a choice about how to take care of my mental health. And plenty of people don't get better even when they take medicine because they have side effects or treatment resistance, and it's a difficult journey for them. And so sometimes there's an oversimplification of we have all the answers for someone's mental health now. You, you just need to come tell HR or tell somebody, and we'll be able to get you the help you need. Use the employee assistance plan. You'll get your help, and we have it all figured out. And that creates a, a lot of stigma as well because it puts that pressure on people to have their mental health problem figured out or solved. Okay. All right. So we want to... We want to be able to say the right things and avoid these gaffes around dealing with folks who may need help. And 
you said during the pandemic, what, what what's the statistic? Like as many as 50% of people have yes. need, have some mental health needs, uh, intervention needs during yeah. the pandemic? Well, what I would say is 100% of people have mental health needs. So that means, you know, everybody has stressful days. They That's get sad, true. worried, overwhelmed. We, we take care of ourselves. I, yeah. We're all on a spectrum. In a normal year, one in five people will have a diagnosable mental health problem. So that's what a normal year looks like is about 20% of people will have a diagnosable problem. Now with the pandemic, it's been about half of people have been reporting mental health symptoms of some kind. And that's for a number of reasons. That's partly because of the social isolation, the fear of the, the illness, um, getting sick from the pandemic, um, you know, losing your job. There's, I mean, so many things are happening that are possible stressors that can trigger someone to have a mental health problem. Um, so putting it all together, the data has shown that um, about half of people are having some kind of mental health symptoms that they're reporting. Okay, all right. So, yeah, two and a half times as much as a as a, as a normal year. All right. Yeah, exactly. So right. it's more relevant now than ever, right. um, except that we all always have mental health stuff going on of some degree. So I like to say it's always relevant all the time for us to yeah, be aware. Well, yeah, fair point. That everybody, you're right. A hundred percent of people have mental health needs. I mean, that could be as easy as. I, I need I need an hour away. Uh, right. I need I need quiet. I I or I got to be with people. I'm too. I feel like I'm too isolated. I got to get outdoors. I mean, the, those are all us uh, responding to what we're feeling in the moment and trying to take care of ourselves. Exactly. So you're so, right. Uh, of course, 100. You're right. I, not that I thought you would be wrong, but you know, <laughs> yeah, you give voice to it. 100 percent of us have mental health needs. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Um, all right, so can we can we flesh these two things out? You know, assuming that people need help, or that is assuming that the answers are simple. Is there is there more like is there are there more ways we can help people avoid saying the wrong thing? Yeah. So what okay. I what I usually do and what I taught in the the workshop at uh, the conference is um, I try to focus on people remembering that when we're in the workplace, we have to know what our role is. So are are you this person's um, you know, support system? Are you this person's mental health treatment professional? Or are you their coworker or boss? If yeah. you're a coworker or boss, you should start thinking, what's appropriate for me as a vantage point to engage on the topic of mental health? And what, what really is appropriate is talking about the behaviors in the workplace and how they affect the workplace. So you may see somebody who, let's say, um, they're absent a lot. And that's not like them. And it's not really appropriate at work, if, even if it were like them. And so you're thinking, gee, um, from the way they look, they remind me of my friend from college who suffered from depression. And I might go over to them and I might say, you know, Dan, uh, you're absent a lot. I'd like to refer you to the employee assistance plan, which offers free counseling benefits, um, or I'd like to suggest a way to help you with your mental health. because I'm concerned that might be an issue. That is wrong. Because what you've done now is you've added the backstory of your idea of what their mental health might be from your personal experiences, instead of just focusing on what you've seen in the workplace, which is the absences. So the better conversation is to sit down and say, um, you know, Dan, I've noticed that you've been absent and um, I'd like to talk to you about how that affects the workplace and what we can do to manage that going forward and follow that conversation forward about the behavior and then there's ways that you can integrate mental health you know, into that conversation. And the typical way is to say, you know, whenever anybody is absent, 
three times or whenever anybody misses this many deadlines or whenever anybody turns in lower quality work, we always let them know that there's resources here to help them. And here's a handout that includes all the resources we have, that includes the employee assistance plan, et cetera. But what we've done here is we've taken the behavior indicator and we've said, okay, my role is really about the behavior. I'd like to offer mental health support. You don't have to. Um, I'd like to offer mental health support. So what I do is I find a way to do it without singling anybody out. And I regularly promote these resources um, and link it to clear behavior-based criteria of when I do it, as opposed to my hunch that I've seen something. And I'm guessing if you may or may not have a yeah. mental health problem. My hunch about you. Right. Right. So that's okay. one, okay. one way to look at it. And that covers okay. most situations. The, the other thing that happens, um, so that covers if you, if you, if you see you know, performance problems at work or if you see inappropriate conduct, you can do the approach I just said. But mm -hmm. the other thing that can happen is someone can come and disclose to you. And they can disclose to you either just in passing, like I did on this program and say, I have bipolar disorder and that's it. Or they can disclose to you by saying, you know, I have bipolar disorder or I have depression and I'd like to change something here in the workplace. And at that point, most workplaces of a certain size have a responsibility legally to consider what's called a reasonable accommodation for a disability. And so there's a process for talking about that. And the talking now, is this under the Americans with Disabilities Act? Yes, this is under the okay. Americans with Disabilities Act. Reasonable accommodation, so right. Most, most organizations do not talk about this very well in the sense that they have a policy if somebody asks for a reasonable accommodation, but they don't educate the managers and the, and the staff of when someone says something that could be a request for an accommodation. Um, and so the example that I, I give is, you know, a lot of people hear me say, I have bipolar disorder. And they go, whoa, that's serious. Do you need help, Dan? Um, you know, but if I said, oh, I'm feeling depressed right now and I need some time off, I might not realize that that person's suffering from major depression and they're actually asking for a disability accommodation. So it's very dangerous to use your own judgment of whether or not a situation is serious enough to refer to HR or to refer to the disability accommodation policy. And so what you really need to do is um, when someone shares anything that includes two elements, which is possible health condition and a request for a change in the workplace, you should, have, you, you should offer to process it like a disability accommodation. Um, and you should not, as a manager, informally offer the help. Because even though you think you're doing that person a favor, you're making that person feel insecure, that there's not a real system to take care of them. And instead that they're relying on the goodwill of their manager. And that's not a comfortable thing. In addition to the fact that if you're letting the manager do these ad hoc favors, um, you're opening up the possibility that there might be discrimination where it's whoever the manager notices. Some people get perks, some people don't, et cetera. And, and that becomes a problem. So that's basically the whole gamut of interactions you can right. have at work related right. to mental health. So what is so what is the best way? By the way, uh, I don't know if you can hear. There's vacuuming because I have a contractor repairing my stairs in the in the. I background. can't hear the vacuuming, but I I, I feel for you. Okay, <laughs> thank you. I was feeling for you because I thought it might be distracting. Uh, well, if you hear vacuuming or pounding, it's 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 on my end. Okay, there's no one trying to break into your home. Uh, what? All right, so what is the appropriate thing to say then? Tell us, you know, like if you can script it, or what should the what sh what should the supervisor say when the person presents with these two, you know, these two criteria? Um, I think they should just ask, you know, um, I, oh, I, I I hear you're saying that, um, I hear you saying this and that. Would you, you know, would you like us to 
um, see if there's a way to adjust the workplace as part of an accommodation. This is what we say to anybody who presents with a possible health issue and um, a request for help. And most people will say, no, I don't, I don't want to do it as an accommodation. Um, and, and, and I'm saying this also with the caveat that you should go to your own HR department and find out how they want you to do this. But the, 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 okay. because they have their own practices and they have their own attorneys that have decided how to do it at your organization. But the key thing is a lot of people at the organization don't understand that regularly people are saying things that could be a request for accommodation. And the fact that you would take it more seriously if I say I have, I have bipolar disorder than depression is on its face discriminatory because you, know, you don't realize it because you're just thinking you're being nice, you're being supportive, um, and, you know, but, um, but it's, just, it's, just, it's, it be, it's better to have a uniform approach where anytime anybody shares any kind of health need while asking for, for some kind of change at work, you refer someone. And if somebody just shares it, like I say, I have bipolar disorder, um, don't assume they need help. So that's the other piece. You, you need both right. elements before you offer the accommodation referral. Um, otherwise, there's some lessons about generally how to talk about mental health. Um, and um, people can get resources uh, that I promoted on the, the, um, the conference. I guess we could add a link to go with this podcast, but I could say the URL um, dispute resolution and mental health initiative is where you can get the free resources. So it's drmhinitiative.org. There's a lot of resources there to help you figure out ways to talk about mental health in empowering ways. Um, one example is person first language. So you wouldn't say Dan is bipolar because that's defining me by my condition. You would say Dan um, has bipolar disorder or Dan, um, you know, has a diagnosis of bipolar, you know, or, or, or whatever it may be. Um, the other thing is you should really never make any assumptions. So when someone says something to you, the easiest thing to say is, oh, what, um, what, what do you want me to know from that? What do you want me to know from that? Instead of jumping in and saying, oh, I have a friend who also has, um, you know, depression, or, I, or I, I, my, my depression myself, I have anxiety. You, you know, someone says to you, um, hey, um, you know, I'm mentioning um, that I have, uh, and then I'll, I'll use me again as an example, bipolar disorder, you can say, oh, Dan, oh, I hear you, you know, what, what do you want me to know from that? And I say, oh, you know what, I'm fine. I don't need anything. I'm just open with everyone. So um, that, you know, I just was saying it because it's just what I do to feel more comfortable, or it's just part of what I do for my work. Um, but, but, but most people, when they hear something like that, they go into their whole own, uh, their whole inner wheel in their head, um, oh, what do, I, what do I do to help this person? Yeah, what is this like, person? Oh, I read about that. Yeah, I, I, I read about that. And, about that. And all, it's, the actual advice to take care of this is, is actually quite simple. It's don't listen to yourself. Listen to the person who's talking and make sure you hear what their ideas are and what their desires are um, to, to, to guide the conversations. And there's a lot more to it than that. But you can get those resources, again, at drmhinitiative.org. Okay, okay. Um, since we're talking so much about bipolar, why don't you acquaint folks with what, what it means to have a diagnosis of bipolar? Sure. Well, but, well, every mental health diagnosis, because of the nature of what a mental health problem is, where it affects your thoughts and feelings and behaviors, um, is unique to each individual. So I, I don't want anyone to generalize from my story to other people. But I have bipolar disorder. It's a mood disorder, which means uh, I have trouble regulating my, my moods to some degree. And because it's bipolar, there's, there's two different types of ends of the spectrum. On the one hand, there's the low mood, which is depression. Um, what differentiates me from someone who has a diagnosis of depression is there's also periods of high moods. 
which can be uh, manias or hypomanias. Tr traditionally, people think of that as you get very euphoric, um, but you can also, which means very happy, um, but you can also have a very upsetting or dysphoric mania. And there's a lot, there's a lot of complexity. So I don't want people to walk away thinking they know what it means when someone has bipolar. For me, I was 19 um, in college and I didn't sleep for four straight days until I was then hospitalized and they checked my brain and um, saw that I didn't have drugs in my system. I didn't have a, you know, a brain abnormality physically on the scan and they diagnosed me with bipolar disorder because if you have one of these big up episodes where you don't sleep and you talk faster than I'm talking right now um, and you engage in erratic behaviors, um, that is definitive for a diagnosis of bipolar basically. So um, if you just have depression, you don't know if someone's gonna have depression or not because you need to see that up episode to know that somebody has bipolar disorder. So for me, I was 19, I had that episode in college, I missed a semester of school, you know, got, got hospitalized and I, you know, I'll, I'll stop the story there, but it's obviously um, a long story of life with a mental illness. Um, and it's complicated and it's just one of many people's different stories. Some people go to the hospital, some people don't, some people take medication, some people don't. And that's why what's important is to let people tell their story and tell you what they want you to know instead of asking your own questions and, pro and probing, um, which your question was totally appropriate um, on, for this podcast. But in general, if you're at work, you know, you, you keep your head down. And when someone brings it up to you, you listen to them and you ask them what they want to talk about. And you follow some of the other skills that you can learn to be empowering and talking about mental health. So a better way to ask it, would, what would you like me to know about right. your What would you like me to know? Diagnosis. Um, and or, yeah. or just... Yeah, or just, I mean, you can say diagnosis, you can say anything, but yeah, I mean, it's-, it's What it's, would you like me to know about what you're saying? What, what you yeah, or what are, you, what are you trying to convey to me? You know, the idea is, is less about specifically what you say and more about showing the person a, a few things. So number one is I'm listening to you. I wanna hear your ideas and your story. You're, you're empowered in this conversation. So that's one thing you're trying to do. The other thing that I mentioned earlier, it's really important is, I'm not judging you and singling you out to treat you differently than other people. So those are the themes that you want to show with everything you're trying to do is to say, we, we, we check in on everybody who's absent. We check in on everybody who misses deadlines. You know, we, we, we have the same conversation. It's better to give a written handout because with the written handout, um, people can see, oh yeah, you didn't just make this up just because you're freaked out by me. You, you give this out to everybody. So th th those are the key principles that are the most important. And if you say the wrong thing along the way, um, you know, that's not always pleasant for someone, but if they can see that you're really trying to be fair and treat them like somebody else, and if they can see that you're really trying to listen to them, then you're going to have a good outcome. And, and that's not just when there's a mental health problem involved. That's actually all communication. Um, you know, in, in all interactions, it's good to do those yeah. things. Listening, listening. Yeah, listening As I, just, as I just cut you off as you're talking, you know, but I'm saying, but I'm emphasizing. Yeah. Listen, listening. Okay. Appropriate listen, care, right. careful That's listening, important. thoughtful listening. Um, and, and what happens with mental health is a lot of times people see, uh-oh, mental health, yeesh, and they start panicking about what do I do? What do I do? And it's like, actually, you should really just focus on treating everyone great all the time, and then you won't have any problems. And, and, and that's where I come in as a trainer or, or um, you know, to help different organizations is, you know, basically what happens is they have, they have some missteps in how they're dealing with mental health. 
Mm. And so we address those, but it's actually addressing the culture for everyone. Because as we started um, this podcast, 100% of people are having mental health needs. 100% people um, you know, might need to communicate about feeling sad or worried or overwhelmed or having a rough day. And, and, and these skills will benefit in all those situations. Um, you know, as long as you get to that mindset of the empowerment and treating everybody the same. All right. That's excellent, Dan. I'd like to leave it there. If, if uh, you make you make your points very, very clear, very succinct. I do want to leave folks with drmhinitiative.org for dispute resolution in mental health initiative, drmhinitiative.org for all the, for the valuable resources you were talking about. Dan, uh, Dan Burstein, founder MH Mediate. Dan, thank you very much. Yes, thank you for having me. Awesome. Valuable. Thank you. And thank you for being with Tony Martinetti nonprofit radio coverage of 21 NTC. We're sponsored at the conference by Turn2 Communications, turn-2.co. Next week, more 21 NTC panels. If you missed any part of this week's show, I beseech you. Find it at TonyMartinetti.com. We're sponsored by Turn2 Communications, PR and content for nonprofits. Your story is their mission. Turn-2.co. Our creative producer is Claire Meyerhoff. The show's social media is by Susan Chavez. Mark Silverman is our web guy. And this music is by Scott Stein. Thank you for that affirmation, Scotty. Be with me next week for Nonprofit Radio. Big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. Go out and be great. <laughs>